It's only a kick. A jump. A block. It's only a serve. It's only a tackle. A run. It's only for the fans. After all, it's only pressure. You got this. Adidas. Thinking Basketball Podcast. My name is Ben. Welcome back to a, a free agency transaction trade nothing's happened for two weeks episode about all the changes in the NBA in the summer of 2022. Cody, are, are, are you a big sort of free agency guy? You know, this is like the, the, the best time of year for some people. Where do you stand on the transactions that occur right after one season that set us up for the next season? I think my involvement with them are usually I'm deep in some kind of game from 1980 and then I'll look at my phone and I'll see a tweet that's like, so-and-so was acquired by so-and-so. And I'll be like, whoa. And then I'll put it down and turn my game back on. And then I, get, I, I just kind of wait for it to boil. I wait for everyone else to have opinions about it then. That's usually how I go about it. What about you? Well, I like that you snuck in that humble brag about just being deep in a 19, a glorious 1980s game. Um, you know, CBS, NBA on CBS days. And mm. I, I, I've been getting into some NBA on NBC days and I have the exact same thing uh i i love player movement and i think it's really interesting and we'll talk about some of the big ones today but uh you know the the two-year 10 million million dollar extension for the 13th player on the bench it doesn't it doesn't get me excited in the morning no i i tried to like come up with some kind of really quick heuristic theory about determining if a contract is good and i'm like i'm gonna leave this for someone else that really studies the contracts i just kind of care about what players wear and how that's gonna fit in uh from my perspective they're all good uh, because I would love to have a multi-year, multi-million dollar contract <laughs> to play basketball. That sounds sounds like a great deal for everyone involved. Um, I think the, 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 the guy we want to talk about today, the biggest move, unless I'm missing something, the biggest move so far in the offseason is Rudy Gobert, the Stifle Tower, the multi-time defensive player of the year winner and someone who creates no controversy controversy when we talk about him as a basketball player uh he's gone to minnesota and minnesota didn't really have to give up anything in their core so you're going to have gobert paired with towns uh d'angelo russell's still there anthony edwards is still there i think the biggest piece that from my perspective, the biggest piece that the Timberwolves had to give up was uh, Jared Vanderbilt. And, you know, the Jazz, we'll see what happens, whether Mitchell stays with the Jazz, but the Jazz, are they in a rebuilding phase? Is there a transition period? I'm, I'm significantly less interested in Utah and much more interested in Minnesota. I'm going to ask you, because you've sent me some extremely, extremely provocative text messages about this trade. Do you now think Minnesota can finish with the best record in the Western Conference? Oh, wow. Um, I mean, I think it's in the cards for them, but I don't necessarily think it would happen next season. Like, to me, this is a trade setting up for the future. Like, with Anthony Edwards and and Carl Anthony Towns both being, I mean, Edwards is really young at this point. This is a multi-year kind of process. It's a movement. It's a bet on Anthony Edwards that he's going to actualize into this great player, this great first-round pick that the Timberwolves are expecting. So even if it doesn't pan out exactly next year, like, I think this is something that we we still have to wait year two, year three to see how it's going to go. But... I'm going to zag against from what I'm hearing. It, it sounds like a lot of people, Ben. It sounds like a lot of people don't like this trade. Ben, living 15 minutes from Target Center right now, I love this trade. Mm. I'm really, really excited about this trade. But I'm going to step back for a second. I'm going to ask, what what is your reaction now that you've had a couple of weeks to process, or a week and a half, whatever it's been, to process this mega transaction between Utah and Minnesota? Well, I like the trade. I... I immediately thought it was a regular season upgrade. Um, 
I am not sure yet. I think there are enough moving parts and enough variables that you could still lose in the first round, depending on how the West shakes out with this roster. Uh, even if you have a stronger regular season, I mean, there's at least three or four other teams. Uh, and, you know, once you get to four, that's four second round teams. So you can see at least three or four other teams that could be better equipped to win in a playoff series or give them trouble in a playoff series. I think you just saw the Celtics with Al Horford and Rob Williams um, have tremendous success. But, you know, Horford has great versatility. Um, I don't think either of Gobert or Towns have that level of versatility. It's interesting to see Towns going to the power forward. And again, as I said, I think all of that is viable in the regular season. Um, It'll be really interesting to see in the playoffs strategically how this plays out with these two big men. And I like that you call out Anthony Edwards because I think Anthony Edwards' growth next season and his continued rise up the ranks of sort of NBA stardom is probably the bigger thing that's going to determine where this team ends up. And I I keep coming back to the regular season, postseason divide. Um, I think they'll be not only fine in the regular season, but I think they'll be quite good, especially if Edwards can elevate himself. I think it's going to be interesting to see sort of how much the two big men can play on the court at the same time in the playoffs. Um, can they find a way? I mean, Finch is a Chris, Chris Finch is a creative coach. We saw him doing some creative stuff defensively last year, both with Towns and D'Angelo Russell. That's why it hurts me a little that they lost Jared Vanderbilt. Cause I think he's just such a fantastic defender, but you know, do they do they end up staggering and coming up with a scheme that essentially protects these guys or works in the playoffs? I don't know. I don't want to rule that out, but that's kind of where my headspace is. I think Minnesota got better. I think they could be very good in the regular season in 2023. Um, but I'm not I don't have a good feel for how this would make them like an inner circle contender to get out of the West. So I think this is interesting on a couple of fronts. Like number one, I want to push back on one thing where you're saying that uh, maybe Towns and Gobert aren't going to be as uh, I don't know flexible is the word used, but it's flexible. Say like Horford and, and Rob Williams. And I'd say that's defensively because offensively, Towns, especially if he has somebody that's able to back up and cover the rim next to him, Towns should theoretically be the most flexible offensive big in the game besides Jokic. We're just going to leave Jokic out of all of that. But Towns is just ridiculously talented. And I think hopefully if the spotlight is off of his struggles with defending the rim and hopefully with Gobert, maybe the the spotlight off of his inabilities to take advantage on offense, they both now have somebody that can cover some of the worst parts of them. And Jared Vanderbilt, being a really good defensive player, I always kind of saw him as like a a perimeter wrecking ball. Like, not the same level, but in the same like idea as a as a Matisse Thibel, but a little bit more interior oriented. Not somebody that's going to be protecting the rim at a high level, but somebody that's going to be kind of zooming around, covering a lot of places and just causing havoc out there. Whereas Gobert is more strictly like this paint is my area, which is the the area that I think that Towns has really struggled the most with. So um, I like that balancing act of it all. And then, of course, instead of just having one offensive player that's going to be able to help and cover Gobert's, I guess, weaknesses on that end, he now has two really high-level, ideally high-level offensive players in Edwards and in Towns with him. So I think it's a really fun, like, here are my weaknesses, here are my strengths, let's combine and form into one megazord of a strong trio. Was that a Transformer reference? Uh, Power Rangers? Oh, okay, yeah. yeah. No, that's that's what that was. Um, didn't the Transformers all get together and make a giant Transformer? Am I imagining that? I'll be honest, Ben, I haven't seen literally any of the Transformer movies all the way through. No, this is. I, I'm not talking about the movies. This is like <laughs> pre-movies. This is back in the day. I think this is all, all cartoon level. Anyway... Um, Someone out there can let us know. The, the the Megazoid of the Minnesota Timberwolves, that's an interesting way to put it because offensively, I'm not really worried about them per se. It's, 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 and even in the regular season, I think you can have these two big men. I think it's possible that 
you can use Towns in a way during the regular season where you're going to have articles written about him in December saying like he's really figured it out defensively and he's found his role and he's 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 off the ball more because the thing about Towns and this goes back to his time at Kentucky even he is a good shot blocker and he's long um and if he played in like the 1980s you're you're alluding to watching an 80s game earlier if he played in the 1980s he would probably not only be a strong positive defender he would be a guy that people really praised a lot he'd average a couple shot blocks a game um he you know there's no penalty for mistiming or chasing blocks that's as noticeable back then the challenge with towns is one the modern modern day spacing out to 25 30 feet um and two kind of making all the decisions that a big man now has to make because of the way the game is spaced out on the floor. So that could be pick and roll decisions when you're guarding the pick and roll. That can be help and overhelping or chasing a block or something like that. And you add all of that up along with like focus, attention, motor, and you have someone who, you know, when you put him at high levels in the playoffs, uh, especially in that situation, playing the five, you look at him and you go, this this is not an ideal defensive center for the modern game. You move him over and maybe you unlock a little bit more of that shot blocking and you protect more of the weaknesses. And I think in the regular season, again, you could have a recipe for more success. It's, it's a, in a way a little um, like what the Celtics did with Rob Williams, where you take the shot blocking and, and skill that he has there in Rob's case. I mean, it's just timing and quickness off the floor is extraordinary. And you say, we don't want you involved as much in the screening action 30 feet away. We want to keep you low and on the block. So I could see something like that happening with those big men. But, Cody, there's still a big but. You get into the playoffs and teams are going to systematically attack you and um, kind of having these two bigs out there where it's like Gobert, Gobert is better on the outside than most people ever give him credit for, especially for his size. But neither of those guys are Bam Adebayo or um, even Al Horford or certainly Draymond Green. And I don't just mean in ability. I mean in um, switching out on the perimeter or extending and covering a ton of horizontal ground. And we know teams will just ruthlessly attack any weakness they can find in the playoffs. So that it's really the defensive end. Um, then I'm thinking about the synergy, the fit, the tactics, stuff like that. Let me let me address something because I'm sure somebody is listening to it this to this at this point. And I'm not a, sure anyone's listening at this point. That's that's a that's an assumption that we shouldn't make. Uh, so go ahead. What are you going to address? They're like, no, I listened to three other podcasts that hated it. These two are full of it. But here's the thing: some of you might be like, okay, this is great. You're talking about this in a vacuum, but you're not bringing up any of the picks. You're not bringing up the fact that what Minnesota traded by counting four. Four first-round picks, only one of them being uh, protected, and then a pick swap, along with all these other players? Like, that's a lot. That's a huge haul. Guys, this is like sacrificing the future of Minnesota. But here's the thing, Ben. Here's the thing. If I'm not mistaken, Minnesota Timberwolves became a franchise in, like, 1990. Do you know how many times they've made it out of the first round of the playoffs since 1990? Once. Once? Yeah. Ben, 2004... It's the only time this franchise has made it out of the first round of the playoffs. Furthermore, if you look at like average offenses and average defenses, and you look at a single season when a team is above average on both offense and defense, do you know how many times the Timberwolves have had a team that in the regular season was above average on offense and defense? You want to take a guess? Offense and defense at the same in the same season. In the same season. Uh it's maybe only 2004, right? It's actually, there are four times it's happened. Uh, they must all be Garnett. There are four times. Actually, one of them was last season. One of them was last season. Oh, yeah. I forgot last season existed. I know. Yeah. They were pretty solid yeah. last season, but four no, they were, times. They were good. Four times. So here's the thing. In the historical arc of the Timberwolves, if they don't make an enormous move, like 
we're just going to continue the historical arc of the Timberwolves. And if they don't make this move, no one talks about him. And we keep talking about how much fun Anthony Edwards is in the locker room. And then we can complain about Carl Anthony Towns falling apart in the playoffs and not being good defensively. And, oh, this is just a fun little story. And then they lose in the first round and we forget about him so we can talk about the Celtics and Warriors. No! No! The Timberwolves are a franchise that have to make an enormous swing. And I'm coming at this understanding it's a huge risk. This is an enormous risk. I get that. But it's also a risk for a team that's only been out of the first round once. And it was with having somebody named Kevin Garnett on your team. So at the end of the day, I'm like, I'm totally cool with this because you have to break that at some point. At some point, when you need to to make some kind of change, you got to go out there and make a huge change. You can't just make changes on the on the, the margins at this point. So that's why I'm a huge fan of this trade. Yeah, I, I, I like it from that perspective as well. I don't have any problem with the, with the price or the picks. Are there a lot of people who are saying you know you shouldn't give away that many picks or something i mean he, here's the thing and we we also have to talk about kyle anderson mm. um yes. you know because he's he's joined the team and i i like Jaden mcdaniels and um you know maybe they get maybe they get like one more guy in there that works and you got a really nice eight-man rotation for the playoffs but if your team is good for the next few seasons and i think this certainly sets up the timberwolves in the regular season to be i mean What's like the floor here if they're all healthy? Like 50 wins? That sounds reasonable to me. I mean, I mean, sure. I mean, there could be something that happens that they're like 45 wins. But it seems to me like you are not going to have high draft picks for the next few seasons. And so one of the things that always... Kill, I know we said we weren't going to talk about draft picks, but I think this is more of a, a theory and value concept that you can model Draft picks are not the same thing in a vacuum. They need to actual they need to actualize into a player. You can't win anything with draft picks. Period. You can you can you can have all the number 1 picks you want and you can't like the the Cody remind me how many titles have the Oklahoma City Thunder won? <laughs> can you remind me? Um, hmm. are, are, we're not bringing in the Sonics, obviously. I know your point. The oh, that was a trick yeah. question. Yes, it was. It was the Sonics. Yeah. Okay. Um, but like the the thing with the draft picks is if there, if you get the 22nd pick and the 25th pick and the 19th pick, that's very different than having the third pick and the first pick and the fifth pick. And obviously, at some point, um, it's ironic. The Timberwolves went through this with a penalty in the Kevin Garnett years where they lost a number of first round picks. At some point, you want those first round picks because you want an extra player or two that can make your rotation who doesn't cost that much money on a rookie scale contract. That part of it is important, I think. But we've seen other teams and other championship teams for a long time not really get much value there and kind of hang on for a couple years and then the bottom falls out. Um, you know, the Golden State Warriors even, like where what did they get at the end of the first round during their best championship years a few years ago? It, it didn't yield much. So you can survive, uh, especially as a highly competitive team, without turning that 26th pick in the draft into something for a couple years. It's better to get rotation players and hit a home run there and, and have the opportunity to do that. But in this case, the trade-off, as you said, is we're going to be even better immediately. We're going to be really competitive in the short term. Um, and there might be a little extra kind of juice or value from our franchise perspective by winning the division. Are divisions still a thing? Do they still have divisions? Can you, you, can you win a division? Um, I don't know if it means anything, though. Well, you can hang a banner and and like <laughs> and you get home court and you're finishing at the top of the conference and hosting a playoff series or winning a playoff series or potentially if things break right, winning two playoff series, whatever it is. Like I like I like trades like this, um, especially if you're going to be really good. And, you know, maybe they threw in an extra pick that they didn't need to or something like that. We'll also never know that we weren't there in the negotiations. We'll never know. So I, I like it. Hey, it's Kaylee Cuoco for Priceline. Ready to go to your happy place for a happy price? Well, why didn't you say so? Just download the Priceline app right now and save up to 60% on hotels. So whether it's Cousin Kevin's Kazoo concert in Kansas City, go Kevin! Or Becky's Bachelorette Bash in Bermuda. You never have to miss a trip ever again. So download the Priceline app today. Your savings are waiting. Go 
to your happy place for a happy price. Go to your happy price, Priceline. Mother's Day is around the corner. Find the perfect gift for the mom in your life with a stunning piece of jewelry from Blue Nile. From timeless pearls to dazzling gemstones, Blue Nile has something she'll adore. Need it fast? Most items can ship overnight. Plus, enjoy guaranteed free shipping and returns. Don't miss our special Mother's Day deals. Save big on the season's most beautiful trends. For a limited time, get up to 50% off by going to BlueNile.com. That's BlueNile.com. I think the other thing, too, and I, I really don't want to dwell on the picks thing too much because I know that neither of us really get into the, the draft and picks and things like that, but I don't know how many picks actually become top 20, top 15 players, but if Anthony Edwards actualizes in the way that people seem to be talking about him, there's a distinct possibility, and this isn't like a crazy possible world, but there's a distinct possibility that this team has three top 15 players in the NBA over the next couple seasons. Maybe I'll back up a bit. I could say three top 20 players in the NBA, and when you can add somebody to get a trio of that caliber, like chances are you're not going to swing and get somebody like that in in a draft. Even if you have like a first, second, third pick, like you have a better chance, obviously. But I don't know if the Timberwolves were going to have those kinds of picks over the next seasons anyway. They were going to probably mire in the 14 to 18-ish range. So I love the idea. I know that both you and I are pretty high on Gobert, probably relative to to a lot of other people. But I distinctly think that we're we're sitting with a team with three top 20 guys and possibly, possibly three top 15 guys. Yeah, and even just looking at the hall, one of them is a pick swap, so they will still have a first-round pick in 2026. And then the protected pick is, I mean, that's the one to protect, in a sense, if anything, because that's 2029. That's way down the road. So you are talking about losing three first-round picks out through 2028, um, which seems, to your point, it seems like a reasonable trade-off to me. And I like your last you know, observation that especially with a 15th or 20th pick, but even with a top 10 pick, like it's hard to, it's hard to hit a top 20 player with one of those picks and they actually have them on the team. The one final ribbon I'll put on this is there is a history, a pattern of guys like this who have struggled in small markets, have been criticized and been polarized coming to new places and people going, Oh my God, they, I can't believe how much they paid when Kevin Garnett came to the Celtics to join Ray Allen and Paul Pierce in the 2007-2008 season. The Celtics traded like their whole roster. And and Al Jefferson, who, you know, he's like, all they've traded another all-star for an all-star and then all these extra players and then picks. And it's like a lot of the times when you get stars and, and, and Gobert, you know, has just been a one-man regular season top 10 defense, which is just a ton of wins for years on end, um, it's easily worth the the price in retrospect so we'll see what happens um now that we've spent a ton of time talking about the minnesota timberwolves what other i think malcolm brogdon is the next one we wanted to like what what are the other big moves of free agency what else stirred you while you were watching a 1984 uh, game on, on youtube so yeah i like i like the uh we talked about that brogdon wow that way out of the <laughs> The NBA at this point. The, this man played for the your Bucks, Cody. I let's what? not talk about that. That that was a tough that was a tough transactional period. Anyway, we could talk about Brogdon to the Celtics. We could talk about Murray to the Hawks. I think that's an interesting one as well. Dejounte Murray, All Star Dejounte Murray going to the Hawks. Yeah. Uh, I I yeah I I it doesn't do much for me. Oh why? Do, doesn't do much for me. Okay, let me let me throw it back at you. Why should I care about this move? Okay, so. Ben, in, in the, the long arc of NBA championships, I feel like the most good, not most, but many, many good teams in the finals usually have like a guard or a point guard that's an excellent ball handler, passer, defensive kind of guy. Like I'm thinking back to like the 80s with Dennis Johnson. I'm thinking to guys like even Drew Holiday with the Bucks. They didn't win the championship, but Marcus Smart with the Celtics. DeJounte Murray, in a, like in a specific role where he's not overtasked on offense, could be that kind of role. Like, if he bends a little bit, because I know in the last couple seasons, like, 43% of his play types last season were uh, in the pick and roll, 13% in isolation. Neither of those are going to be sustaining with Trey Young out there. But he was also an extremely inefficient scorer. He was like a negative five, negative six guy last I, I remember checking. But maybe he takes a lot off that scoring plate and he starts setting up a lot more, 
right? Even Bogdanovich, when Bogdanovich was on the court without Trey Young, the Hawks offense was still really good. So maybe he fits into what I like to call the dimes and defenses kind of guy. We're just going to be focusing on those sorts of actions more. And I know he's not going to be great at spreading the floor. His his catch and shoot three-point ability has never been been great. But he was also like fourth I think he was fourth in the league this season, maybe even fifth. I don't remember. Fourth or fifth in drives per 75 of every player that played at least 1,500 minutes. All right, that's even more than Trey Young. So this is somebody that's really good at getting into the teeth of the defense and bending the defense to cause some kind of cascading action. And I'm interested to see how that fits into somebody else that bends the defense a lot in Trey Young. So it's a lot of hypotheticals, but I at least like the idea of DeJounte Murray getting a chance to sort of... Re, to transform his abilities into a new sort of player on a successful team going forward. Okay, so maybe we were talking past each other when we started on this because I don't really disagree with anything that you just said. I, I, I more meant like um, Atlanta this season, it doesn't seem to do much for me. But you're you're saying that he is a potential piece that can fit here, especially if you have two ball handlers in the backcourt and Trey goes to the bench and Murray can continue kind of running the show. He's a potential piece as you build the team forward. I think that's completely true. Um, Maybe I'm just all mixed up and confused inside because the Hawks made the Eastern Conference Finals last year. Now, in retrospect, maybe that's um, a little luck, a little fluke, some weird bubble pandemic thing going on. That's fine. But I, I just was thinking of the trade more from that perspective. Like, I don't think it's a uh, – what did they give up? They also gave up uh, three first-round picks and a pick swap, if I have that information correctly. So, like, the the price of that and all that stuff seems okay. Uh, I just was more thinking of how does it get Atlanta to be, say, a 55-win team again this season that's that's what i mean where like i'm i'm not sure how that works out for me i think i'm always coming from some like at the low end trey young to me is like at worst a top 10 offensive player and probably at the high end like flirting with top five and when you have a talent at that level on offense i just like the idea of surrounding him with with other good ideally complimentary talent. We'll see how the complimentary part works. Again, all of this is a risk, and we can't really judge until we see it. But if it actualizes in the way, that seems to be our word of the day. We always have a word of the day, actualizing. If it actualizes in the way that they want to, I think this could work out, especially with a fairly young player uh, over the course of the next few seasons. Okay. Um, Let's let's leave it there for the Hawks. I I don't know. I I don't really have any... Okay. They, they just don't seem like a good team to me. I, I think that's that's what it comes down to. Um, you know what? I'm sorry to be that blunt. It's it's the off season. I have I have no ability to uh, break down any of their games that are happening. I think it's going to be a cool backcourt, but I still feel like the issues with the Hawks are, um, you know, essentially essentially in the front court and the rest of the roster. Uh, always a big fan of Bogdanovich. But, um, you know, is is a Kongwu, is he making the leap? Is he that that would be interesting to see if he has a huge, huge push forward and can kind of replicate what Clint Capella used to be able to bring to the table. What's happening with John Collins? Is is he going to play in Atlanta? Um, DeAndre Hunter is another one who comes up all the time as a guy who I feel like sort of people love the idea of DeAndre Hunter since he was drafted as this. 3 and D, you know, sort of mini proto Kawhi guy. And um, I haven't seen DeAndre Hunter sort of, let's go back to our favorite word, Cody, actualize in that sense yet. So that's kind of where I am in Atlanta. Um, the one that is interesting to me, just because they're a team that just made the finals, they tore through the league after January. We talked a ton about them as they were on the rise and, uh, you know, relatively young team, first-year coach, there's a lot there that makes you think that Boston, let's go back to what we said about Minnesota, their floor for the future is very high. And then they immediately make this move to get Malcolm Brogdon to try to um, essentially shore up any weaknesses or improve a team that already looked really good. And they didn't really give up anything material in the short term. They did give up their 2023 
first round pick. Remember, they take their 2023 first round pick if it's in the 20s, if they're at the top of the conference again. Um, at, at best case scenario, in 2024, that player is at the back end of the rotation, maybe in best case scenario. So they also they kind of threw out parts in the trade. Aaron Neesmith is the most interesting part of the trade for a, a future player for me. But they basically give up nothing of their playoff rotation and they add Malcolm Brogdon. And Brogdon is a guy who, I mean, we don't hear this term anymore. It used to be very popular, but he's almost like a combo guard, right? Mm -hmm. You can kind of play him at two guard, um, but you can also kind of play him at point guard. And he does, he shoots really well and he attacks closeouts and he runs a little pick and roll and kind of does a lot of stuff like that. Um, and so given the structure of the Celtics offense with Tatum and Brown, always wanting more initiators, et cetera, et cetera, just a really interesting piece. And he's immediately said he would embrace a six man role. And we know when you got a great six or seven man rotation, you get into playoffs, that almost doesn't even matter. It's matchup specific, good game, um, strategies that work, have an advantage and attack it. Now all of a sudden you're playing 38 minutes in a key game from Malcolm Brogdon. You know, th that's kind of what I'm thinking about here. And how much does that help the Celtics with their weaknesses? I'll talk about Brogdon in a second, but what the first thing that jumps out in terms of like what the Celtics gave up is I think Daniel Tice is really interesting because looking at their current depth chart, right? So we have Robert Williams starting at center. We have Al Horford at power forward. Uh, Luke Cornett is a center. And then the other forwards are Gallinari, Grant Williams, I guess Jason Tatum. Like, I guess my point is, is they're really, really light on big men at this point. Al Horford is, is what? He's like 36, 37 at this point. Rob Williams, can we, count? we can't really count on him at this point to play 82 games. So what are the Celtics going to do to address having a big man? Because I think a big man, at least somebody like Tice, is really good for... Uh, What's the what's the sexy term? Eating up minutes during the regular season, something that you can the the innings eater. Yeah, the innings eater. Yeah, you can throw him yeah. out there and he'll be uh, he'll be functionally good and hold the ship tight for a few minutes here and there. So, what do you think the Celtics are going to do about that? Uh, I I think they'll probably just get a guy off the scrap heap for the regular season to eat up minutes, and then in the playoffs, if everyone's healthy, you've got the same. You've got Horford, Rob Williams, Grant Williams. Um, you know they can go small with those guys and have essentially a guy like Tatum at the four. Um, Danilo, I don't know, I don't know how much juice Danilo Gallinari has left, but I mean that's another guy that you're going to see play minutes in one of the four or five positions. So um, I, I'm, I don't think it's something that I'm too concerned about. Now the argument of, that I think you're really driving at is what happens if someone gets injured. Horford, Horford, how long can Horford drink from the fountain of youth? Um, you know, how many games can you reliably get from Rob Williams? I think those are all fair questions. But at the same time, go back to what we just said about Minnesota. It's really hard to collect a lot of talent in the NBA. And I think the Celtics are already doing better than almost every team with Smart, Brown, Tatum, Horford, Rob Williams, Grant Williams, Derek White, Malcolm Brogdon, who we should mention, Malcolm Brogdon is also a good defender. So now we go back to the thing we harped on throughout the playoffs uh, over and over again. No defensive weaknesses, no places to attack. The Celtics now have eight good defenders in their eight-man rotation. That is absurd. Um, and so, yeah, if injuries derail them, if they take an injury here or there, they could probably survive it. Any team, I think, the way they're constructed and the way the salary cap works, Cody, if they have two big injuries, whether it's for most of the regular season or for the playoffs, I think it's going to derail them. So it's not really a, a, a concern for me when I look at their roster. Yeah, I think on the defensive point, Brogdon, um, in that eight-man rotation, he's probably eighth for me in terms of how good he is defensively. Defensively, yeah. 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 But uh, offensively, the one thing that I'm really excited about is the, the one thing that they're addressing on offense that I was... You know, I criticized a fair amount during the finals is that they just didn't get the first domino to fall that often. Like Jason Tatum, not always driving to the basket, and making that kick game. Jalen Brown had that once in a while. And actually, if you look, the leader in drives per 75 for the Celtics last season was Dennis Schroeder, who is no longer on the team. And then the next one that led the uh, team in drives per 75 was Derek White, who was only with them for a little bit of time. And his minutes were reduced a little bit at times in the playoffs. So Brogdon being a top five drives per 75 guy last season, I know in much, much reduced minutes because of injury. Uh, they bring a little bit more juice. They now have a guy 
that is really good at getting into the teeth of the defense. And actually, instead of like somebody like Marcus Smart, who's also not great at this, is able to just drive in, get some nice burst, can finish with his uh, nice little reverse layup down there. But he can also start kicking around and setting up Jason Tatum and Jalen Brown in more advantageous positions instead of just like, here's our play, here's our action, you're going to get the ball and you're going to isolate at the top wing. Like now, now you're going to get that ball at the top of the perimeter with a team rotating towards you. And I think that's going to be a really big boon for their offense. A really big boon. A really big. I I guess it's not going to change them like a plus three sort of thing, but I think when the chips are down and they're facing tougher defenses, I think it will be noticeable. Hmm. So... Yeah, I think I I think that's kind of where I'm at. Where I think it's an upgrade. My question is: in those situations, in the playoffs against tougher tougher defenses, how much of an upgrade is it? How, you know, out outside of um, bringing in another like super high level offensive player, how much more can they get out of this already really good roster? Um, I mean, they were very close to they were a championship level team last year. Cody, you said very early on that they were an inner circle tier one title contender one of your one of your great ruthian calls of last season calling your shot very early on the celtics so i I mean there's only so much you can easily improve those teams without bringing in um like other star level players so I, i i i like the move and it'll be interesting to see how much of a boon that gives them in the playoffs assuming everyone makes it through healthy Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDIC. We will, we will get angry. I mean, we're going we're gonna to get angry grams anyway. We will, get, we will get angry grams, I think, if we don't address another Final Four team, the Dallas Mavericks, who brought in Christian Wood for um, essentially spare parts, although you can never call... Boban Marjanovic spare parts because he's the locker room leader. His his locker room stats per 48 must be off the charts because uh, he <laughs> seems so fun and so beloved by so many of his teammates. But similar to the Brogdon thing, the Mavs pick up Christian Wood without sort of giving up anything in their rotation. Their pick wasn't next year's pick. It was this year's pick. It was the number 26 pick and Houston selected... Um, Wendell Moore, I believe, with that pick. So, do you think um, do you think this move sort of we we talked about Brogdon as, as a as a boon in certain ways or upgrading as a as a bench player? How do you how do you feel Wood fits into the sort of Luka Doncic equation in Dallas? Remembering that Jalen Brunson is now the superstar of the New York Knicks. <laughs> Uh, I am really sad that Jalen Brunson is not going to be next to Luca because I like yeah I, I, I liked that we we talked about Jalen Brunson enough that was I, I should be happy for him that we're getting I'm getting myself off track here and now no more talking about Jalen Brunson now that he's on the Knicks nope that's it he's just wasting that, away that's a joke that's a joke <laughs> so I, I had a weird reaction to this my first reaction when I saw this trade was actually negative I'm like hmm I don't like this but I've kind of I've kind of cooled off from that initial opinion right away but i don't know there's there's something about it. there's something that's just like beyond just strict analysis that that doesn't sit right with me at this point i don't know if it's because again we just saw playoffs where we see that not being able to ex- be exploited on defense is really really important and this mavericks team kind of hung their hat on defense throughout the second half of the season especially and I, you know we talked about this on a, on a previous episode but you know there's a lot to be talked about with uh People are saying, like, oh, look at the Jokic-led Nuggets and how they weren't able to stand up to the Warriors. Well, they did just about as well defensively against the Warriors as the Mavericks did. And now you bring in Christian Wood, who I I don't really think brings too much value. At least he hasn't had too much value defensively in the last couple of seasons here. So I'm interested to see how he personally handles maybe, like, 
playing spot minutes if his sort of role doesn't work in the playoffs, or if he comes off the bench, Dwight Powell and Maxi Kleba handle those four or five spots better. So I don't know. He's a, like a 97th percentile pick and pop guy, according to Basketball Index. That's going to be awesome against Luka, with Luka Doncic. But that defensive part of me is just, I, I don't know, that, that worries me a little bit for a team with championship aspirations. 97th percentile pick and pop. 97th percentile, according to Basketball Index. Impact for 75. Wow. Yeah. Wow. Um, I mean, I think this is an interesting sort of test for player evaluation. That's sometimes when trades happen, uh, my first thought is about the synergy and fit and how teams scale and all these fascinating parts that fit together to make basketball what it is, this, this beautiful dance out there. But Wood is specifically a player who's interesting because he's been on these really poorly performing teams for the last few years and especially in the last two years as his as minutes have ticked up and he's become a full-time starter um, I mean just the kind of raw stats that you'll see people reference in Houston 21 and 10 two years ago and last year 18 and 10 and this is a big man who for his career yeah you referenced the pick and pop stat is now shooting 38 percent from downtown um, taking about eight threes per 100 possessions in the last few seasons. So you think like, okay, I, I pair this guy who has some offensive skill, um, can, can score a ton, um, can shoot the three, and, and he gets to play in that two-man game with Luka Doncic. This sounds fantastic. But another big but, our second big but of this episode, Cody, um, this is all to me at a very low level, and especially defensively, the, the thing you pointed out, not just defensively, but even, like, I would say um, awareness. That's not the best term. We'll, we'll talk uh, in an upcoming episode about something a little more nuanced athletically that's happening on the court. I've talked about feel, um, that podcast on feel with Evan that I did a couple years ago. We got into this kind of stuff, but it's like that awareness component out there in the court combined with experience and combined with having the repetitions of playing not just playoff basketball but in these situations where teams are attacking you or you have a lot of adjustments that you have to process out there that's my big question mark with him um i i've actually had a lot of people in the last year or two ask me about like why he's not on my sub all-star team and things like that i i just haven't seen it yet and there's always when you when you get on a 15 win team, they're always going to love a guy that can do just a little bit more that can have the ball in his hands a little bit more like like even last year, he's up to like four assists a game. And if you watch his passing highlights or assist highlights and you think about his shooting um, and you go, man, this is like such a great fit. But as, as you started with, if you're leaking defensively and if you don't kind of fit the system that the Mavs are playing, then I'm not even sure, you know, I'm, I'm not sure how many minutes per game he plays in the postseason. And of course, the hope, we'll, we'll go back to our actualization concept. The hope here is that you can take a guy and that his skills actually translate and he's very strong and we look completely foolish in April or May because he's like a key part of the team. I think that's the promise. I think that's the allure of the free agency people that, that, that gets everyone so excited. It's like, oh, we've got Christian Wood coming in. But when you look at the Mavs depth chart, it's not immediately obvious to me. Um, ESPN, the first one I just quickly pulled up, they list McGee and Christian Wood as the starting bigs. It's not obvious to me in a playoff series that Jason Kidd would be playing McGee and Christian Wood over Maxi Kleber, Dwight Powell, or Dorian Finney-Smith in those positions that we just saw during their three-round run in the 2022 playoffs. So that that's kind of where I am on, you know, I don't know how much this move matters yet because I'm not sure how much that stuff's going to translate at the high level if you have a problem like, for instance, um, giving value back on defense. And I think another big thing is I think maybe when you think about Christian Wood on the Mavericks, you might envision like the Mavericks of last season. But as we just talked about, Jalen Brunson is no longer there. And I don't know how much creation juice Christian Wood himself gets as opposed to just being a play finisher from the perimeter. And when you take away one of the strongest perimeter creators from the Mavericks, 
all of a sudden that takes away another way for Christian Wood to get fed and, and be able to create. So I'm really interested just to see how the offense changes. I know obviously they still have Spencer Dinwiddie, Tim Hardaway Jr. should, should be healthier, but Jalen Brunson brought just a little bit more something that I think they're going to be really missing a lot. And I think uh, th- that takes away a little bit more from what Christian Wood could have been if he was still there. Yeah, and it would be awesome to kind of see him take a step forward as a defensive player and then be able to harmonize the two-way skills with Luka Doncic. Remember, Tim Hardaway Jr. was injured and um, you know he could be back and Spencer Dinwiddie could be there for a full season and he also is post a big injury so he could potentially uh, be a little stronger as well and maybe even step into that Jalen Brunson, you know, I'm going to be a dual dual head of the snake playmaker playmaking thing. Um, but, you know, this is not the first time the Mavs have done this. There is a period in the early 2000s. That it's so funny to me, the symmetry where they have Luka now and it's this sort of steady slog to continue to get better and build a championship roster around him and how hard that can be. And what they went through with Dirk Nowitzki in the early 2000s and just slowly but surely adding the right pieces and tinkering and, and, and kind of getting it there. But they brought in their fair share of like Nick Van Exel's Antoine Walker's. I don't know why I'm pluralizing these players, <laughs> but um, this sort of category, Antoine Jameson, who maybe is the best example of someone who, um, and Antoine Jameson, I think you and I'd probably agree relative to his era was a level or two above Christian Wood as a player, but he was an offense guy, a very specific type of scoring and, and kind of success on offense, and then gave a lot back defensively for that time. And then when you brought all these guys in, basically they all came off the bench. And they all came off the bench with mixed results. And um, most of them kind of were churned through and spat out ultimately by the Mavs. So, you know, that's kind of what this feels like to me. It feels like there's a big question mark about how how many minutes he will actually play when the chips are down. um, And therefore, how successful is this move in terms of moving the needle materially for Dallas as they kind of try to creep the roster. You know, they got to a certain level last year, but what they're really trying to do is get closer to where Boston is and give themselves multiple bites at the apple centered around Luke. It's interesting because it's almost like Jason Kidd trying to recapture the very Mavericks team that he won a championship with, with Dirk Nowitzki, like retooling until you end up with a bunch of really defensive-minded guys along with maybe a secondary juicy creator like Jason Terry out there but um in terms of that kind of team build it seems like christian wood kind of goes against the 2011 mavericks in a way so i i guess i don't want to say that like i'm against this trade but i'm a little cooler on it and i want i want to see it play out in the playoffs next year i think it's only fair um by the way i we've said juice now more than actualize in, in this episode but i think it's only fair um to kind of finish the show today by balancing out sort of how tough we've talked a lot about these western teams and how tough the west looks going forward just to put in perspective why um you know there's why neither of us are going like this completely changed this team will now be at the top of the west it's because if you look at the west next season you have the warriors now they're an aging team aging teams usually tend to kind of fall off at a certain point um and when it's gradual, it's interesting because you're like in that place in your mind where you're like, oh, are they, they're still competitive, but I still trust them. But what you don't notice is every year they go down in the standings a little bit more and they lose a little bit earlier. So you have the Warriors, you know, they're going to be there in some capacity. Um, then you have the Nuggets getting Michael Porter Jr. and Jamal Murray back and They've made a. I mean, it's almost like we should have done 20 minutes on the Nuggets, right? Because of what they're trying to build around those guys. They say Michael Porter Jr. is 100% healthy. Jamal Murray is going to basically be two years removed from his ACL surgery by the time the playoffs come around. So that's very promising from a movement athletic health standpoint for the Nuggets. Um, KCP, other guys they've brought in, hopefully round out the roster. The Grizzlies. The Memphis Grizzlies, the this decade's Oklahoma City Thunder, from many people's perspective, John Morant, Jaron Jackson Jr. Um, you know, this is this is another team that continues to move forward and grow. We talked about the Timberwolves. 
the Suns, we don't we don't know what's going to happen with the Suns, but the Suns have also been, you know, at the top of the conference. And then there's one more that I just want to mention in this this high upper echelon group of like teams that could win the Western Conference, maybe the team that's favored to win the Western Conference, and that's the Clippers. And they are going to get back Kawhi Leonard. Also, by the time the playoffs roll around, he will be um, a long time removed. You know, both those teams, both Murray and Kawhi, both of their teams held them out for the entire season. So this upcoming 23-23 season, hopefully they look very good from a physical standpoint. We've seen a lot of promising returns from ACLs after 18 or 24 months out. Paul George, who had a bunch of health problems last year, knock on wood, he not not Christian Wood, um, just regular Wood, like on your desk. Um, he could be healthy, uh, and then you know Ty Lue and just the roster they've built around the Clippers there. So uh, I mean, that's a lot of teams, and a couple of those teams won't even make the second round of the playoffs. So I just want to leave with that perspective. I don't know if you have anything to add on some of those teams. If I'm forgetting a team, but the the top of the West is once again looking very stacked, kind of in the way that when we got to the playoffs this year, the top of the East, you're like, oh my God, some of these teams won't make the second round. And whoop, lo and behold, there goes Brooklyn, swept right out of the playoffs. Um, So that's what the West feels like, where it's almost like back in the day with Dirk. You might have the fifth seed have like 55 wins. Um, It depends on how the distribution and health shakes out, but you're going to have a very good fifth seed potentially, and the 5-4 will knock each other out. I'm just looking at this potential Clippers roster right now. Ben, looking at their depth chart, we're just going to go through some players. So we got John Wall, Reggie Jackson, Norman Powell, Luke Kennard, Kawhi Leonard, Nicholas Batum, Paul George, Robert Covington, Evita Zubats, Marcus Moore Sr., whatever you think of him. That's nine, ten players, Ben. That's a deep team that also has Kawhi Leonard and Paul George at the top. That's... Man, I hope I hope we don't have the injuries this season because we had a lot of guys out last season and that kind of screwed up a lot of uh, a lot of some of the intrigue that we could have had. This season is really ramping up, especially with the Kevin Durant specter just looming over everything. Dave, they, I think they've done a fantastic job in Los Angeles, um, adding pieces to that roster and then specifically adding pieces in the style that Ty Lue likes to play in the play. I'm convinced we're going to have like five, six, six to six nine wings on the court in the finals for the Clippers at some point, um, just switching all five positions at their own will, playing five out on offense with anyone just finding the mismatch, attacking five three-point shooters. Yeah, that uh, that's certainly something to watch out of Los Angeles. I guess we'll leave on that note. Does that sound like a, a good way to wrap our first off-season show? Well, I was hoping you were just going to say, I really like what they've built in Los Angeles. And I was going to say, oh, you really like how the Lakers are shaping up for next year. <sighs> if you want to support the show, head on over to patreon.com slash thinking basketball. We have additional content, stats, and a ton more. Uh, patreon.com slash thinking basketball. Thanks so much for listening to this one programming note i don't know why i'm doing the programming notes at the end when everyone's already turned off the show i guess i guess it's for those who listen all the way through um we we will at some point in the summer kick off uh some episodes i don't know how many episodes it will be but we will be doing an update of the backpicks top 40 uh through these podcasts so we're gonna go people have asked Uh, I haven't updated the list in a couple of years and we will go through and have discussions about that list. So that is sort of the upcoming summer podcast programming to look forward to. Otherwise, for those of you who got that update, thanks so much for listening all the way through till the end and wherever you are, I hope you're enjoying your off season and that you are having a great day. (laughs) 